Dogs have shared our lives and our homes for thousands of years. They are our best friends, and we give them our hearts, knowing that we'll most likely outlive them. Some very small breeds can live up to 20 years, but most dogs only make it half that far. Best-selling author Ted Carasotti, mourning the death of his beloved dog Merle, decided to find out how to help dogs live longer. The result is his new book, Pucka's Promise, named for his new dog, Pucka, but the inspiration came while he was on the road promoting his previous book about Merle. It was in Monroe, Louisiana, there in the Deep South. I was checking my email before doing my evening presentation and once again was struck by this common refrain that I had been seeing in hundreds of emails. Why did my dog die at two years old, three, four? Why did four out of five of my golden retrievers die of cancer? I sat back and thought, why do our dogs die so young? Merle himself, why did he die at 14 when some of my horses are still going strong today at 25? So I started doing some research and discovered that Dogs are a short-lived species relative to some other animals because of the direct descendants of wolves, sharing 99.9% of their DNA. And wolves themselves are a short-lived species. So our dogs have inherited this fateful genetic legacy, but how we raise and breed them can further shorten their naturally brief lives. You found Merle wandering in the desert. It was a stray, but for your new puppy, Pucka, you went to a breeder. Why a breeder? After Merle died, I didn't want another dog right away. I needed to let my heart heal. I wanted to write his biography without another dog diluting my memories of him. So I spent three years doing that. Then I started looking for another dog, and I went to shelters first. But I simply didn't find a dog in a shelter with whom I fell in love, the way I had fallen in love with Merle, almost on the spot. And I wanted some certain qualities in a dog. I wanted him to be able to be out in cold weather, to ski, to swim rivers, to mountain bike with me. Uh, wait a second. The dog skis. I'm using that term poetically. Uh -huh. Running behind one as one skis downhill, the dogs either porpoise through the snow if it's shallow enough or swim through it if it's steep and light enough. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I wanted a dog with similar qualities to Merle and finally decided that maybe I could find such a dog by going to a breeder and that it would also be instructive for researching and writing the book to describe to people how they could hedge their bets about getting a healthier, longer-lived dog by going to a reputable breeder that had done all the appropriate orthopedic health screenings and DNA tests for that breed. One advantage of going to a breeder to get a dog is that the dog won't be spayed or neutered. Almost, almost inevitably, from a shelter, dogs have been sterilized. Correct, correct. So why did you want a dog that would be able to reproduce? I had been reading the veterinary literature, and there's been emerging evidence over the last decade that spayed and neutered dogs are not as healthy or longer-lived as intact ones. Spayed and neutered dogs have 
a greater chance of having an adverse reaction to vaccines. In general, they're more obese. They have more endocrine dysfunction. Pretty serious stuff. And intact dogs tend not to have those conditions as often, and they tend to live a little bit longer. In addition, we now have procedures that can forestall a dog's having puppies, but that keep a dog's beneficial sex hormones there. Tubal ligation, a hysterectomy, or a vasectomy, the same procedures used in human medicine. However, they don't touch a dog's testes or ovaries, so the dog retains its beneficial sex hormones, estrogen and testosterone, which have been shown to forestall or prevent many of those nasty conditions I just mentioned. Now, there's another controversial topic you take up in your book, and that's whether or not to vaccinate dogs, or perhaps I should say vaccinate dogs as much as they are vaccinated. You did a lot of research on this topic. Tell us what you found. Vaccines, for all the good they do, are not benign. They can cause adverse reactions, everything from welts to arthritis to fatal hemolytic anemia. And it has been found now that the duration of immunity for the core canine vaccines, parvovirus, distemper, adenovirus 2, and rabies, is far longer than any of us have imagined. It's actually 7 to 15 years. Yet some veterinarians continue to recommend annual vaccinations for our dogs, overloading their immune systems. However, some vets say, you know, instead of vaccinating the dog, have your vet give it a blood test called a titer. The titer measures the antibodies that the dog has developed to these diseases. If the dog has immunity, no need to revaccinate it at three years. If it's lost its immunity, give it a booster shot. How common is it to test uh, for the titer of these antibodies? Now that has become pretty common. Unlike tubal ligations and vasectomies, there are labs around the country that your vet can send a blood sample to, and a couple weeks later, you get the results back. So in the modern world we live in, there are a lot of chemicals, and dogs perhaps are exposed more to some of these chemicals uh, than we people are. Can you talk about that? You bet. Dogs are smaller than adult humans, and just like small children, they receive a greater dosage of the environmental toxins around us per unit of body weight than do we. Dogs also are on the ground. They live on the ground. They take in the world through their noses. So they're breathing in chemicals that we don't breathe in. They also walk around bare-pawed on city streets and on lawns that have been sprayed with herbicides. And when they get home at night, they don't take a shower, as do we. They lick their paws, they lick their fur, further ingesting these chemicals. I want to talk to you about breeding dogs. You say that uh, dogs are inbred overly in this country and that that's uh, part of the mortality problem, part of the disease problem for dogs. Can you explain? Yes. Fewer and fewer sires are being used. One of the best examples is the golden retriever. Back in the 1970s, three famous sires contributed enormously to the gene pool. So today, they have about two to 300,000 descendants. 
What happens when you have those many descendants then breeding is you have the possibility, a much greater possibility, of recessive genes meeting. And recessive genes can cause anything from something nice like a coat color, the yellow lab, to recessive genes, but they can also cause blindness, a muscle-wasting disease. They can cause exercise-induced collapse, and they can cause cancer. People think, experts feel, that one of the reasons that so many dogs are dying of cancer, purebred dogs, is that there are too many of these fatal recessive genes floating around and now meeting. I have to say that your book is a pretty personal one for me. We recently lost our family dog, Mr. Crumpet, a, uh, a golden retriever to cancer. Oh, dear. And a few years earlier, lost Zoe, also a golden retriever. How old were to they? To cancer. About nine each. This inbreeding, perhaps, might have promoted the odds of cancer. Absolutely. Because your dogs are more than likely related to those three popular sires whom I mentioned back in the 1970s. All this talk about inbreeding, I would think that would make a case for getting a mixed-breed dog, those dogs that perhaps could be saved from a shelter, for example. Absolutely. And if we look at the veterinary literature, it shows that mixed-breed dogs live about 1.8 years longer than an equivalently weighted purebred dog. And they also have fewer genetically transmitted diseases. So given this cancer epidemic, what should people do? As soon as they see a bump or a little lump on their dog, they should not hesitate. They should go to their vet and say, what is going on? I visited four major oncology centers around the country. They saw far too many dogs six months after having been to a general practitioner, veterinarian, who said, let's just watch this. And they now had to amputate the dog's leg or give it chemotherapy, whereas six months before, it would have been a small, tiny incision. One of the oncologists at CSU said to me, what are the four most dangerous words in the English language? Let's just watch it. Let's talk about dog food. In your book, I counted them up. You got four chapters just on food. We all love to eat. <laughs> <laughs> and so do dogs. And I would guess that most Americans uh, feed their dogs uh, bags of kibble or perhaps canned food. But you found that that is not the best way to go. Can you explain? Yes. Most of moderately priced kibble is made from corn. Well, there are lots of problems with corn. Corn is one of the most heavily sprayed agricultural crops in North America. It receives 30% of the pesticides put on our crops. These days, 85% of the corn crop is also genetically modified, which means that it's repeatedly sprayed with the herbicide Roundup. So one might say, you know, maybe we shouldn't feed our dogs high-carb diets. On the other hand, vegetables, green leafy vegetables, yellow-orange vegetables, have been shown to be cancer-protective, whether you're a dog or a human. And another group of interesting studies show that when dogs eat a high-protein diet, their performance improves. They have a higher VO2 max, more endurance, they're aerobically fitter, and they have better thermoregulation. 
So you're not suggesting that people do what you do there in the Grand Tetons of Wyoming with your dog, Pucka, and that is you get the rifle, you go out, and you get yourself an elk. I do get an elk. Of all the meats I tested and foods, the elk had the fewest amount of heavy metals, lives far from roads, far from industry. But I can't feed Pucka on wild game. I couldn't shoot enough big animals for Pucka to eat. So Pucka eats a commercial frozen raw food diet. He eats kibbles that meet the criteria that I just suggested. And, and I rotate him through a variety of foods. Mm. What about beef? I don't feed Pucka beef. Why? Ecologically, it's better to eat wild grazers or grass-fed beef, nor do I think corn-fed beef is as healthy as some of the other meats I feed Pucka. It's shot up with antibiotics, with hormones, it lives on a feedlot, and it eats corn. And we've talked about the problems that corn has. Ted Carasotti, if you had one piece of advice for a dog owner, what would that be? To have more of an ongoing conversation with your dog. Get down on the ground with your dog in your house. Try to understand what it's telling you more about what it wants, how often it wants to go out, where it wants to go, instead of always deciding that you're going to take it someplace. Let the dog decide to tell you where it's going to take you for the walk that day. Do the dogs keep us or do we keep the dogs? I think it's mutual. We have this ongoing conversation with each other, and if we're doing it really well, we try to meet each other's needs. Ted Carasotti's latest book is Pucka's Promise, The Quest for Longer-Lived Dogs. 